Um, we as a church are in week three of a sermon series called Disciple, Be One, Make One. And just before we jump into the message this morning, I want to just do a quick review on where we've been at this last uh, few weeks. Um, in week one, we looked at how the goal of the church is to make disciples who make disciples. Jesus' marching orders for the church were crystal clear. Before he left this earth, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't make it fuzzy. He didn't make it um, questionable. He just said, here it is. This is what your marching orders are. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so this is the goal of the church. However, the understanding of what exactly a disciple is, it can be a bit fuzzy. It's a word that you don't hear around the church a whole lot. And even if you have heard it, you probably have a different idea than your neighbor of what it means to be a disciple, but it's important for us to understand what a disciple is because Jesus' teaching on what it means to be a disciple is radically different than the idea of Christianity that is pervasive in 21st century Christianity. It's much different. And in Matthew 4, we see Jesus, he comes along and he gives this invitation to four fishermen to follow him. And in this invitation, we see actually the definition of what it means to be a, a disciple. A disciple isn't someone who has decided they're going to join a religious organization. A disciple is somebody who has their, their life wrapped around the person of Jesus Christ. A disciple is somebody who's following Jesus, they're being changed by Jesus, and they are committed to the mission of Jesus. And I am so glad that Jesus did not come to me and say, Rich, I want you to be a part of a religion. I want you to learn a bunch of rules. I want you to work on your behavior. No, instead, he came and he said, follow me, follow me. He invites us to make him our Lord, our, 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 our leader, our Savior, and then to allow him in his life to infuse every area of our lives. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is look a little bit more at what it means to be changed by Jesus, what it means to be changed by Jesus. So I've been a follower of Jesus since I was about 15 um, that's the moment where I really just decide, okay, I'm going all in with Jesus, surrendered my life to him. And as, as I look back over the years, I can, I can stand here today and go, okay, I have changed. I am not the same guy that I was way back then in the, the early 90s. I've, I'm, I'm a changed man. I'm, I'm a part of a small group, a group of about 12 or 13 men and women. We meet every Wednesday night. In the last several weeks, what we've been doing is different ones have just been sharing their story and and, and just talking about their lives. And it's been so cool to hear different ones talk about how they've just been changed. Jesus, he changes lives. He works in lives. And I know many of you here this morning would say the same thing. You go, yeah, he, I'm not the same person. He has changed me. But how does that, that change happen? How do disciples, followers of Jesus, how do they grow? Is it just simply by grabbing a Bible and reading a Bible? Is it by going to church? What does it mean to grow? Is it, how, do you, how do you grow? Is there, is there a lot more to it than simply reading your Bible? And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about spiritual growth, but one of the most important ones is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And by the way, if you are a, a, if you're not a sermon note taker, I'd encourage you to grab the sermon notes in the program in a pencil and scribble like crazy this morning because we're going to unpack a bunch of stuff and it will probably be helpful. But there's this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 that says this. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So those are like church leaders. Christ gave them to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ, that's the church, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you wonder what, it, what, what Jesus is changing us into, this is it. He's changing us to look more like him. Now, I know this passage of Scripture is a bit of a mouthful, and, and I love actually how the, the message paraphrases this Scripture. It, it talks about how we're becoming fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. That's what he's making us into. Fully alive like Jesus, full of his love, full of his joy, full of his peace, full of his humility, full of his patience, his strength. We're whole and complete. We're not struggling with loneliness and fear and anxiety and all these different things. We are fully alive in Christ. That's what he's making us into. And there's a couple of other truths that we, we see in this, this scripture. One of them is actually put really well by this author named Michael Spencer. He says this. He says, discipleship is a call to me, but it's a journey of we. Jesus calls me individually. He comes to me and says, Rich, follow me. And, and, um, it, it, but it's not just an individual journey. It's, it takes a team for someone to grow up and become like like Jesus. And this scripture talks about how God gives pastors and leaders in the church not to do all the work of discipling, but to train and to equip the church, that's you, to be making disciples of people. And the Bible makes that super clear in this verse, but in our individualistic culture where it's just all about me, we tend to think that all I need is my Bible and Jesus. That's all I need if I'm going to grow in my faith, but that's just not true. If we're serious about being a church, it's about making disciples, it's going to take a team, it's going to take everybody figuring, figuring out their part and getting in the game. Something else that we see in this verse in Ephesians 4 is that discipleship or the road to spiritual maturity is a process. It involves maturing. Now, whether it's physical maturing or spiritual maturing, we, we, maturity just doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. So I've got five kids, and not one of my kids at birth popped out and said, hey, dad and mom, thanks for the last nine and a half months. It's time for me to get a job. Where's the keys to the truck? I'm going to drive down and, and start passing out some resumes, and then I think I'm going to go and take a group of people on a missions trip to Nepal. None of them said that. It's a process. And, and a lot of times we wish it wasn't a process. We just wish that change would happen right now. But that's not how it works. Maturing is a process. And it's the same thing spiritually. It's a process. But here's the deal. When you're following Jesus, you can rest assured that you are being changed. The Bible says, it says this, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So there's that process. But we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In another place, it says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. There's no might in there. It's he will carry it on to completion. So if you came here this morning and you're discouraged, you're going, I look back on my life and I'm frustrated. I just cannot kick that bad habit. I just can't get my, my temper under control. People tick me off and I get mad. And you're discouraged. Listen, be encouraged this morning. God is at work in your life. As you get behind Jesus, follow him, he is, he is changing you. But we're all in process. And when it comes to spiritual maturity, we're all at different levels of maturity. Some have less maturity, 
Some have more maturity. You see this with physical maturity. Um, you have different stages. And with physical maturity, it's pretty easy to tell where someone's at on the journey. If, if you have uh, a, a person who's seven pounds, eight ounces, you know that they're pretty early on in that journey of maturing. If you have a person that's 5'11", 200 pounds, hair's falling off his head, nose is growing out of his nose, you know that he's further along in that journey of maturing, right? But spiritually, it's a little more, di- it's a little more difficult to, to tell where somebody's at. It's not so plain to see. However, there is a way to tell where someone's at. Two things reveal where you're at on the road to, matu- to spiritual maturity, what you do and what you say. These, te- these reveal where you're at on the road to spiritual maturity. What you do, so you're the priorities that you make in your life, uh, your actions, the way you spend your time, your money, your energy, how you respond when somebody ticks you off, um, the, the things that uh, you, you, you spend your time on, the way you treat your enemies, these all reveal where you're at on the road to maturity. Jesus said, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. You can tell where someone's at on the road to spiritual maturity by their actions. You can also tell by what comes out of their mouth. Jesus also said, for the, mouths, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if what comes out of my mouth all the time is lots of lies, arrogance, boasting, slander, hate, all these different things, I'm not very spiritually mature, but on the other hand, what's coming out of my mouth most of the time is encouragement, it's kindness. That would indicate that I'm a little further along on the road to spiritual maturity. Now, you might be asking yourself, Rich, what does all this matter? What, what does levels of spiritual maturity and where you're out on the roads, can I just grab a Bible and come to church from time to time and hope that I grow in Jesus? Why do I need to know where I'm at and where other people might be at? Well, here's why it's important to know. It's because if you don't know where you're at spiritually, you won't know what you need in order to grow. And you could also put it like this. If I'm wanting to help someone else grow in their faith, if I don't know where they're at when it comes to spiritual maturity, I won't know what they need in order to grow spiritually. It kind of works the same way spiritually as it does physically. You don't give an infant steak for dinner, right? Because that's just not what they need to grow. It's probably going to make them, them pretty sick. Um, there's a reason why we don't encourage middle schoolers to get married and start having kids. It's because they're just not ready. What they need is they need um, more responsibility. They need a good diet. They need some basic algebra. You know, that's kind of what, what they need. And spiritually, it's the, it's the same. If you want to grow spiritually or if you want to help someone else grow spiritually, you need to be able to assess where they're at on the road to spiritual maturity. Something you're going to be seeing a lot of around here is this deal we're going to call the discipleship wheel. And it's, it's a tool. It's a simple tool to help us understand where somebody's at on the road to spiritual maturity. It's a tool to help you understand where you're at on the road to spiritual maturity. It's not a tool to judge somebody. It's not a tool to look at and go, okay, well, that person's there, that person's there, that's where they're at. That's not what it's about at all. It's, it's simply a tool to help you understand where you're at on the road to spiritual maturity. This is the best drawing I've done all morning. <laughs> the goal of the church universally, 
So not just us here, but the goal of the church, Jesus said, is, is to go and make disciples. The goal is to help people move along this wheel from here to here. And I'll unpack what this is because right now you're looking at that going, Rich, what the heck is that? It doesn't mean anything to me. It's just kind of confusing and it's freaking me out. But, <laughs> but the goal of the church is to help people move around this, this wheel. And before I kind of jump in and just explain what this thing is all about, let me just say, uh, say, say one thing. Time spent in the church does not equal spiritual maturity. Time spent attending a church does not equal spiritual maturity. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and in that 20 years, I have seen people that have been a part of a church for decades say some of the most hateful, divisive things. And on the other hand, I've seen people who have been followers of Jesus for just six, seven months act in a way and say things that you would think they've been followers of Jesus for decades. Time spent in a church does not equal spiritual maturity. And uh, but, but here we have on this, there's, there's five stages of spiritual growth. And as you're going to see all these stages, they, they run parallel to, to physical growth. The first stage of, of, of spiritual growth is simply being spiritually dead. And this is where we all start off in our discipleship journey. We start off far from God. We don't know him. We're lost. The Bible talks about how we're separated from God because of sin, deserving of of, of, of wrath and punishment, we are spiritually dead. The Bible says it like this, as for you, you were dead in your trans- transgressions and sins in which you used to live. We were dead. Now, like physical maturity, spiritual maturity at every stage has some characteristics and it has some certain needs. So just to state the obvious this morning, when someone's physically dead, you don't expect a lot from them, right? You just don't. And many people in the church, though, they spend way too much time condemning spiritually dead people because they don't fit their picture of what a person should be like. Well, there's a reason they're acting the way they're acting. It's because they're spiritually dead. Their actions simply line up with their level of spiritual maturity. Spiritually dead people are going to shake their fists at God. They're going to deny the existence of God. They're going to believe the Bible is full of myths. And that's perfectly normal and to be expected because they're just simply acting in line and walking in line with their spiritual maturity. And some of the characteristics of the spiritually dead stage of spiritual growth are unbelief, brokenness, and seeking. And you know what they need in order to grow spiritually? They don't need someone from the church spewing hatred at them. They don't need to see somebody on the street corner with a nasty, angry sign someone pointing out all their wrongs, what they need is loving relationships with followers of Jesus. They need someone to come along who's going to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They need to see the gospel lived out. They need an explanation of the gospel. They need an invitation to follow Jesus. Spiritually dead people need followers of Jesus in their lives who are going to love them, who are going to care about them, who are going to share their lives with them and and show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the prayer is that when this happens, that person who was once dead will, will get to this moment where they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And when they do that, something crazy awesome happens right here. The Bible talks about how when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he comes along and he radically transforms you. He takes your heart and, and makes it new. He makes you spiritually alive. 
the Bible puts it so well. It says, it says this. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. This transformation is so big that Jesus said, it's like you're being born again. You're changed. And when you give your life to Jesus, you go to the next stage of spiritual growth. You become the spiritual infant. When you give life to Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you're 5 years old or 75 years old, you are a baby Christian, a brand new believer. The Bible says it like this, it says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I've got five kids, so I've had a few infants around my house, and I've discovered a lot of things about infants. Number one, infants don't know anything about calculus. They don't know anything about the seven continents. They don't really even care. Um, but there is a, a lot of, of sense of discovery. They, their eyes are always wide open. You know, I remember so many moments where I'd be holding one of my kids in my arms, and they'd just be looking around at this big, shiny new world. You know, they want to grab everything off the floor and stick it in their mouths, and they want to touch everything. They're just discovering. Another thing about infants is that they're highly dependent on their parents. None of my kids started working at eight months old. None of them at three months old decided to go out and start cooking their own meals. No, they're highly dependent on their parents. And we see all these characteristics in spiritual infants too. Unaware, you know, they're just learning about their faith. There's discovery, this interest in knowing more about this guy, Jesus, who they've just decided to follow, and they're dependent. They'll say things like, should I regularly be attending church? Or, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but what about this karma deal? Is that, is that real? And uh, what they need, they need the personal attention of a disciple maker. Care and protection, teaching and modeling the new truths of the faith, developing new habits. That's what they need. Tragically, what happens in the church way too many times is somebody will give their life to Jesus. They're brand new, brand new Christian, a baby Christian, and the, the church just hopes that maybe they'll come to a church service or something and they'll learn about Jesus. It's so tragic that that happens because what that spiritual infant needs more than anything else is they need somebody who's investing in their life, taking a personal, personal attention. And uh, we're going to be unpacking over the next several weeks all this in more detail. But as a spiritual infant grows, they become a spiritual child. They become a spiritual child. And in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul regularly refer to his connection to different people in the church in terms of a parent-child relationship. For example, he writes to one of the churches, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Now again, like the other stages, this stage has its own characteristics and its own needs that are similar to the characteristics and needs of a physical child. The children tend to have a lot of questions. My daughter Presley, she's seven years old, and I, I love actually that she's asking questions all the time. She just goes on and on with questions. Uh, kids tend to be teachable. But at the same time, if you're a parent, you've noticed something about children. Their world revolves around one person, and it's the person that they stare at in the mirror. 
it's, it's all about themselves. And how many parents, you've seen children refuse to share their toys, or they throw a temper tantrum when they're asked to do some chores around the house, or you're going out for something to eat, and they're like, I don't want Taco Bell, I want McDonald's. Forget what everybody else wants, I just want what I want. And spiritually, the characteristics are similar of spiritual children. They're teachable, inquisitive, but at the same time, self-centered. They'll say things like, I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. Don't need anybody else. Or I love my small group. Just don't add any more people to it. It's, it's just good the way it is. Or they'll say things like, you know, give up my Saturday to help someone move. Not a chance. I got some things that I'm doing for me on Saturday. And what spiritual children need to grow is, you know, more than anything else, they don't need another class, although those can be helpful. Um, they don't need someone to come along, a good, well-meaning Christian friend who's going to dump on them a good dose of shame. That's not what they need to grow. Um, what they need to grow is a strong relational connection to a mature believer. That's what they need to grow. Someone who's going to come alongside of them who's going to teach them how to love others, who's going to teach them what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, who's going to help them understand their identity in Christ, who's going to teach them what it means to read the Bible and to pray and all those different things. Someone who's, who's connected to them. And then, as they grow, they grow to the next stage, which is a spiritual young adult. A spiritual young adult. And... Uh, there's a couple places in the Bible where we get a really clear picture of what it looks like to be a spiritual young adult. Listen to these verses. It says in, in Philippians, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Another place in Scripture, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. You'll notice that there's phrases in here like valuing others, sharing with others, practicing hospitality, being putting others above yourself. And all these words, they have to do with, with other people. The focus as you mature is is moving away from a focus being on you to your focus being on others. And think for a second how radically different this is than much of the church's idea of what it means to be spiritually mature. You know, I grew up being taught that spirit, being spiritually mature meant that I would read my Bible every single day. It meant that I was praying every single day. It meant that I knew a lot about the Bible. I had it all stuffed in my head, and I was regularly attending church and tithing and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that's part of it, but... As we talked about last week, what Jesus is really after is that we would love God more and we would love others more. And, and when you look at, at young adults, you know, I remember when I was a young adult, there was some drastic changes that took place in my life. When I hit my roaring 20s, um, one of the changes is all of a sudden the world just got a lot bigger. It just wasn't about me. It was like, wow, there's, there's a whole lot out there. Um, on top of that, there was, I was becoming more, more responsible. Not much, I might add but a little more responsible, and uh, got my first job, moved away from home, got married, and, and uh, we see similar characteristics in spiritual young adults. They become more other-focused, responsible, God-centered, and, and some of the things that, that a spiritual, spiritual young adult is going to say, they'll say things like, you know, I think I could lead a small group with a little help. 
Or I haven't seen so-and-so in a while at church. You know, I've been coming to the 11.30 service, and I usually see this person over here. Hey, Rich, do you know this person's number? Can, or can you help me get in, in touch with them so I can just check in and see how they're doing? Or they'll say things like, you know, so many students in my high school don't know Jesus. I think what I'm going to do is talk with some of my teachers and maybe start an after-school Bible study. Those are some things that spiritual young adults will say. And the needs of a spiritual, spiritual young adult are to be trained and empowered to serve with their God-given gifts and abilities. They need someone to come along and just train them up, empower them, and release them and say, go, do it. God has created you with a purpose. You, you, have, been, you have him inside of you. He's going to help you. That's what spiritual young adults need. And as they grow, eventually they become a spiritual parent. A spiritual parent is simply someone who's reproducing and making disciples themselves, teaching people about Jesus, helping them grow in their faith. And as you heard earlier on, Jesus gave us this mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And uh, some of the characteristics of a spiritual young adult are reproducing the ability to make disciples. They say things like, you know, I'd like to take a group of people on a missions trip. You don't hear people that just gave their lives to Christ yesterday come along and say, I want to take a group of people to Peru. You just don't, you don't get that. But when, as you become more spiritually mature, a spiritual parent, you, you say things like that. Or they say things like, you know, I realize it's my job to disciple my kids. Will you help me and hold me accountable? And the need of spiritual parents is regular encouragement and accountability. So there you have, those are the five stages of spiritual growth. And the church around the world, if we're, if we believe Jesus and we take his word seriously, the job of the church is to help people move from here all the way around to here. It's not just to help people get to here or to here. It's to help people grow in their faith. Our leadership team here at CTK Ferndale a few years back, we, we just kind of stepped back from the life of our church like we do on at least an annual basis, but we took a step back from the life of the church, and we just looked at where we were at, and we realized, okay, we are, we're focusing all of our energy and effort over here while completely neglecting all this stuff over here. We put all of our energy on, on weekend services, and we, we, we measure how many people are coming, and we measure um, uh, how many people are getting into small groups, and how many programs we have, and all that kind of stuff. A lot of that has to do with this side over here, and we realized this side over here is just being completely neglected. And we're, we're convinced that we need to help people cross not just these lines. Yes, these lines are important to cross, but we need to help people cross these lines right here as well. And in particular, I would say in the life of the church, the one that, that, that we really need to focus on because it's just so neglected and so hard to cross is this line right here. So many people in the church get stuck in either this stage or this stage and never make the journey from here to here because this line is just a hard line to cross. Even if you're talking physically, this line is a hard line to cross. Hello, all the teenagers in the room. Those are hard, tough, challenging years. But the job of the church is to help people grow in their faith in all these different areas. And... Uh, as a church, we've made this decision. We're going to be about making disciples who make disciples. We, we don't just want people to find Jesus for the first time and then hope that 
things turn out well. No, we want to help people on this, every, every part of this journey. And, and when people get here, we want to be there to say, hey, yeah, go for it. Take risks. Lead. Um, disciple people. Yeah, you're going to probably mess up from time to time. That's okay. But go anyways and make it happen. And over the next several weeks, we're going to continue just to dive into what all this means. And um, we're going to unpack what it looks like. And I just want to invite each of you to continue with us on this journey because it's so, so, so important. It's so important. It's important for your sake. It's, it's important for the sake of your, your, your friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. It's, and it's important for the sake of, of just the broken world around us. It's absolutely critical that we become about making disciples who make disciples. So I invite you to continue with us on this journey. We're going to go keep heading into it next week. Would you just uh, um, close in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are changing us. Lord, you're working in our lives. God, you love us way too much just to, to come along and say, you know what, I'm just going to leave you where you're at. I'm going to leave you in your brokenness. No, Jesus, you love us way too much. God, you want us to, to not only become healed and whole personally, but God, you want us to become people who are loving others like you love others. God, you want us to be a people that is, is relational, a people that, that care about um, those sitting around us, people that care about our community, Lord, that, that doesn't know you. God, you want us to be that way. And so, God, you're changing us into those, those kind of people. And so, Father, I just want to invite you, Lord, to work in the life of, God, the different men and women, students here in this room today. Jesus, I pray that we would, we would trust you on this journey, this discipleship journey that you have us on. I pray, Father, that we would, we would say yes when you invite us to take that next step, whatever that looks like on our journey. God, may we just be so full of trust, knowing that our Father is good, that he's faithful, and that he's out for, for our best. And Father, I just want to ask that, that, Lord, anybody that's here this morning who's maybe discouraged or they're looking at their own spiritual journey and they, they've come in here this morning going, I'm just not changing. Lord, I want to pray that this morning that, Father, they just would have a new faith, a new level of encouragement, knowing that, Jesus, you are changing them with ever-increasing glory. God, you are at work in each one of our lives. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. Father, as we conclude this service, I just want to pray, God, that your blessing would go on us as we part and go our different ways. God, as we take some time here, God, to return um, back to you some of how you've blessed us, God, I just want to pray, Father, that you would work through that for the sake of your name and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to just wrap up our service. On this